I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. Hey, Art, how you doing? You need, you're not getting any taller, are you? <laughs> this, is what, this is what we call Big Art. <laughs> he is big. Uh, but uh, I've been talking to you about it probably just about my favorite person in the Bible. He talk about gutsy. Boy, he had more guts than anybody I've ever heard of. His name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not a prophet of conversion. He was a prophet of doom. Everything he said had to do with Israel's doom being carried away into captivity for 70 years. The reason for the 70 years in Babylon is because the Jews had a sabbatical year, and you can find this in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. You can read all about it. They had a sabbatical year every seven years. They had to let the land lie fallow. Nothing could be planted Nothing could be harvested during that seventh year. What is that for? Crop rotation. Farmers out in the in the Midwest in Kansas, if they own several thousand acres, they cannot plant every field with the same thing every year. They usually let certain fields lie fallow. Fallow means it's not plowed, it's not planted, nothing happens to it. If they don't do that, what they end up with is nothing in their crops after a few years. Israel did not like that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They had 70 of these sabbatical years. That means they multiply 70 times the seven days in the, or the seven years in a sabbatical week. And that is 70 times seven or 490 years. They never kept their sabbatical years. Now the reason God and Jeremiah's message was to tell them, you're going to be carried away to Babylon and you're going to be over there 70 years. You can see Jeremiah saying this in Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, and Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. He tells you, you've got to be there 70 years. What's that for? That's so that they can restore, replenish the crops. They're going to be over here in Babylon for 70 years. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he had every reason to come in. First of all, Israel wasn't keeping God's sabbatical years, number one. Number two, they weren't paying the tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the savior of the world at that time. And he would come in, and he'd take care of the roads, he'd take care of any enemies that come against Israel. Israel is on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. There it is right there. This is Babylon, what we call Iraq right there. That's Babylon on the Euphrates River. This is Persia up here in Iran, Pakistan. All the stands is Persia. And so Jeremiah 
is telling them for 40 years. Nebuchadnezzar's coming and he's going to destroy this land and he's going to carry you away into captivity. But he said, God is not doing this to destroy you, Israel. Don't worry about it. You're going to go over there and then God will move upon the hearts of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes to give decrees to come back and rebuild your temple. And then the last decree will be given to rebuild the city that he's going to burn to the ground. Boy, that's a judgment. Why was God doing all this? The main reason, because of these sabbatical years. And what Israel decided to do, they decided we're going to go after these other gods, Baal, Grove, Grove, Shemash, Shemash, Molech, and all the gods of Egypt, Egypt and the gods of Syria, Israel went after all of that. God told him, if you go after other gods, I'll send four judgments on you. Four. I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence. And the last judgment, when you cease, if you do not cease what you're doing, I'll send the beast to carry you away into captivity. The beast is Babylon. Then Babylon will be overthrown by Persia. Persia will be overthrown by Greece. And Greece will be overthrown by Rome, the beast with iron teeth. It will destroy all the others. And these will rule Israel for 2,600 years. That's how long Israel was in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar came in. Jeremiah is walking the streets of Jerusalem saying judgment's coming and they're ignoring this I feel like a Jeremiah in this day and time I'm not preaching a, a message of conversion I'm preaching that judgment's coming on America it's not going to wait evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse this is not going to get better if you think it is it's not not according to the Bible. God carried them away for 2,600 years from 586 B.C. until May 14th, 1948. That's when the National Council at Tel Aviv met. And under the pressure of a man named Harry Truman... Harry Truman said, I will sanction every port in the world if you do not declare Israel a nation. Harry Truman is a hero in Israel. They named their kids after him, Harry. He was the hero. He was an old Baptist from Independence, Missouri, and he must have known something about prophecy. Must have. You know what they call Harry Truman? They called him the Cyrus. Uh-huh. Cyrus is the one that set Israel free and had them go back and rebuild their temple. Sent them back. Nebuchadnezzar had leveled the temple, just destroyed it, burned the city to the ground, and the way they would stop you from inhabiting a place, they would 
plowed the city up with a plow and sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. When Nebuchadnezzar got through with it, it was the will of God. And that's what we're studying in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, uh, he was an unbelievable man. He walked through the streets and the Bible says he was afraid of them. He was afraid of the people. And he was constantly coming after them and telling them, you've got to repent. If you don't repent, God's going to bring all these judgments upon you. I got to a place in Jeremiah. All the princes of Israel wanted to kill him. So let's kill him. They went to King Zedekiah, the last king of Israel. The pansy king, that's what I call him. Sissy. Zedekiah. He's the last king. You can see him on this chart over here. This is all the kings that Israel had. This was northern Israel. They were split because of Solomon's apostasy when he allowed his 700 wives and 300 concubines to keep going after their sun and tree gods. The same thing that we call Christ Mass Christmas. Same thing. In fact, the Christmas tree, you'll find it in Jeremiah 10. He's the guy that spells it out. Well, let's just look at that real quick. Jeremiah 10. If this is not the Christmas tree, I'll eat my hat and I don't even have a hat. I'll buy one and eat it. That's an old saying, in case you didn't know it. Jeremiah 10. Here it is right here. I don't know how preachers can read this and not know what it is. I don't even, I can't fathom that. Jeremiah 10, verse 1. Hear ye the word of the Lord, speaketh the Lord, speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. Now he didn't, if you notice here, he's not saying don't serve their gods. He says don't learn their way. The word way is the word direct. When translated into the Greek, it's the word H-O-D-O-S, hodos. The hodos, there's two ways. There's a narrow way and a broad way. A narrow hodos and a broad hodos. And few find the narrow way. Narrow is the word thelibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. It comes from the word thelipsis, which is the word tribulation. So he says, learn not this direction of the heathen. It's a wide way that leads to destruction. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. They read the heavens and they say, oh, there's this sign in the heavens. That's bad for me. That's, the signs are not in the sky. The signs are in this word of God. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workman with the axe. They deck it with silver and gold, with garlands. Silver and gold. Just like we put those garlands on a tree. Mr. Layard and Layard's Nineveh said, they always, since they worship these as in the stars, they always put a star on top. Layard says, and they put on a platform because it doesn't move. 
They deck it with silver and with gold, and they fasten it with nails and hammers that it move not. It's a dead god. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of these gods. Wow. Talk about a man that's saying it. He looks, says down here in verse 8, And they, speaking to the tree gods, they are altogether brutish. I love the word brutish. Ba'ar. It means they have the understanding of a brute animal that cannot be taught. The word brutish means dull of hearing. Are stupid. Stupid cannot be cured. You can be ignorant and learn. Ignorant means unlearned. Stupid means you have no chance. And they're brutish. And the stock is a doctrine of vanities. The word stock is interesting. It's the word ETS. ETS. It's the same word. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the word tree in Genesis, the, the third chapter. It's what it is. Now, I just want to stop and say that for a minute. Now, we're talking about Jeremiah. I've worked our way through this. Jeremiah has nothing good to say to Israel. God tells Jeremiah, if you think he's anything but a prophet of doom, you really don't understand the book of Jeremiah. If you think God does not create evil, you've never read Jeremiah. He says, at least 31 times, I will bring evil upon Israel. When he says that, about 37 times, I believe. He says, the, sword, the famine, the sword and the famine will come upon Israel. These are my judgments if you go after other gods. That's exactly what they did all the time they were a nation. And they said, we don't like God's rules, so we're going to go after these other gods. And God said, these go gods that you go after, read the second chapter of Hosea. He called these gods their lovers. He said, this is... This is why he said, I will give Israel in Jeremiah 4, I will give them a bill of divorce. He said, I'm going to divorce Israel. Now, I want us to go back over here to where I kind of left off on my last message. Go back to the 36th chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the princes of Israel come to Zedekiah, the king. You you can't believe how evil the last kings of Israel were. The very last king that was a righteous king was the father of these guys. His name was Josiah. One of the most righteous kings that ever lived in Israel. Then he had these sons. He had Jehoahaz. He had Jehoiakim, J-E-H-O-I-A-K-I-M, K-I-M, because Jehoiakim's son was Jehoiah, or not K, excuse me, C-H, C-H-I-N. And then Jehoiakim, when he was deep, 
deposed from the throne, then Jehoiakim's other brother, Mataniah, takes the throne. And he's also a son of Josiah. These are Josiah's sons. Mataniah's name was changed by the Babylonian king to Zedekiah. And he was the last king in southern Judah. And he was a rascal. I call him the pansy king. He didn't have guts to stand up to nothing. And here in this 36th chapter, this is the second book of Jeremiah. I thought there's only one book of Jeremiah. Well, there is only one book now, but there were two. Jeremiah calls Baruch. Baruch is his stenographer. B-A-R-U-C-H. And God tells Jeremiah, have Baruch write down what I say to you. So he begins to dictate the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, when they get this book done, Baruch is one of Jeremiah's few friends. Jeremiah didn't have hardly any friends. Baruch and Ebed-Melech. These were Jeremiah's dear friends. Ebed-Melech wanted to rescue. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. An Ethiopian eunuch. Baruch was a good man. He loved Jeremiah. But he didn't have a lot of people. He didn't have a lot of friends. Anyway, he goes through this. He writes the book. Then he tells Baruch to go before one of the princes Verse 11, when Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord. This is God's words to Jeremiah. I've brought this out before, but I want to say it again. And they, and look at verse 14. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudi, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Shalamiah, the son of Cushi, unto Baruch, saying, take in thine hand the roll. Now in this book he's going to be saying, God's going to destroy Israel. He's destroying Jerusalem. And he's going to burn it to the ground. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And they're going to take this book to the king. And here's what they say. They're saying, you better not do that, Jeremiah. And wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come, so Baruch, the son of Nerea, took the roll in his hand. It was a scroll. They rolled it out. When it says book, it don't mean it was bound in a pages. It was scroll. They were scrolling. They even had a tag on the scrolls so you'd know which scroll you're reading. It'd say, it would be a tag that said Jeremiah. So it had a tag on it. And so Baruch, the son of Nerea, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. And they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in the ears of some of these princes of Israel. And they're saying, Whoa, you going to tell the king this? Now the king at this time was Jehoiakim. He was a wicked, godless man. He was this man right here. He was before Zedekiah. Then verse 17. 
Or let's read 16. And that came to pass when they had heard all the words, these dangerous words. You're going to read that before King Jehoiakim? You must be out of your mind, Jeremiah. And they were afraid both one another and said unto Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words that Jeremiah wrote that Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy Jerusalem, burn it to the ground. What do you think he's going to do? He's wicked to begin with. And they asked Baruch saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words in his mouth? Then Baruch answered and said, He pronounced all these words unto me. Jeremiah said them directly to me and they came from God with his mouth and I wrote them with ink in the book then said the princes unto Baruch go hide thee you better run and hide thou and Jeremiah take Jeremiah and hide somewhere you're going to die for this and let no man know where you are because he won't put up with this you're saying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and take his kingdom and kill him and drag him away. That's the wrong thing to do to Jehoiakim. We're not talking about pagans. We're talking about God's people. Good night. Can you believe that? It's like talking about America, isn't it? America is not Christian, never have been. And they went into the king's court. Whoops. But they laid up the roll of Jeremiah in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of King Jehoiakim. Oh, me. So the king sent Jehudi to fetch the roll, and he took it of Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the ears of King Jehoiakim. You better be ready to run, Jeremiah. And in the ears of the princes which stood before king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, the king cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire and that was in the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth and that was the end of the first book of Jeremiah, the end. Now you think, uh, what do you think uh, King Jehoiakim's going to do? Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments. The king and all of his courtiers were not afraid of what Jeremiah had heard from God. And these people knew that the prophets heard directly from God. Neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gamariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll but he would not hear them. But the king commanded Jeremiah, the son of Hamalek, and Sariah, the son of Azariel, and Shalomiah, 
the son of Abedil, to take Baruch the scribe, the guy who brought it to him, and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord hid them, hid Baruch and Jeremiah from these people. God told Jeremiah, I'm going to protect you. They're not going to kill you. I won't let them do that. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll. And the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah. Let's look down here in verse 30. Therefore thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He's a wicked, godless man. The throne of David. He's sitting on the throne of David. He's of the tribe of Judah. You wouldn't think a man could be that evil, would you? Sitting on the throne of David. And his dead body shall be cast out the day cast out in the day of the heat and in the night to the frost his dead body's going to be laying out there bloating wild animals are going to come and want to eat it and I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity and I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced this is God talking People say God wouldn't create evil. He said, I make peace and create evil. Everything that Jeremiah said, he said it over and over and over. I'll bring evil upon Jerusalem. He said Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. And he was. Nebuchadnezzar went after everybody that displeased God. I've got a paper here. Maybe I can take time to look at it. It's about the people that God's going to come after. Let me see if I can put this together. He says here in, in Jeremiah 44, of course, maybe I need to stop somewhere on the way. God says, Jeremiah says these words in the 39th chapter, verse 16. Go and speak to Abedmelech the Ethiopian. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city of Jerusalem for evil. People say, God won't create evil? You've you got to be out of your mind. You never read this book. And not for good. It's not going to be for your good. It's going to be to cut you to the ground. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he lived, he left hundreds of thousands of people dead in the streets and the fields. And God says, that's my will for what you have done, Israel. You went after all these Christmas gods. And America says Christmas isn't so bad. If God will kill all these people, the last Caucasian to kill Jews was during World War II. His name was Adolf Hitler. He killed six million of them according to the judgment of God. That, do you know that was God's judgment, the six million that he killed? And since then, they've been winning ever since. They became a nation May 14, 1948. In the Six-Day War of 67, June 5th to June 10th, this is very important. June 5th through June 10th. That's called the Six-Day War. That's when they got Jerusalem back. For the first time, 
They drove out the Jordanians. Jordan is right next door to them. Here's Jordan right here. That pan-shaped looking thing looks like a handle here. That's Jordan. They had been occupying Jerusalem until the Six-Day War. And here's what the Bible says about that. Luke 21, 24. They, talking about the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword and they'll be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile rule over Jerusalem is finished. It's finished in the Six-Day War and they haven't had possession of Jerusalem since 586 B.C. People say, well, what about when Jesus was here? Wasn't the Jews back? No, only southern Israel was back. The, the, the Judah, the kingdom of Judah, which was comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. That's all that was back during Jesus' time. So they have not possessed Jerusalem until the Six-Day War, 1967. The Bible says concerning this, that... There's going to be distress of nations with perplexity. The seas and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing for fear, for looking after the things coming up on the earth. And this is the generation when Jerusalem ceased to be ruled by anybody but the Jews. This is the generation when all things will be fulfilled. That's in Luke 21. I believe we're right upon the end of time. The preachers are all lying. They're not telling truth. If you say something over and over and over again and keep saying it in a quiet tone until it mesmerizes people, they'll begin to believe that. My father was an old independent Baptist preacher. He preached, all that matters is a man accepts Christ as his personal Savior, and that's all that matters. And that's just not true. He preached... Uh, all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Well, that's true, but he doesn't. He did not understand it. All the Baptist preachers I was around didn't understand that. The Bible does say in Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the next verse tells you, you can't call on God till you believe in Him. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? You can't call on a God you don't believe in. I don't believe in Zeus. Do you think I'm going to pray to him any minute? No. I don't believe in, in these pagan gods. I'll never pray to them. And my father used to say, all you have to do is accept Christ as your personal Savior. You will call on the name of the Lord after he births you by his will. That's when you'll call. But you will not call before that. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God's will. And you can't accept Christ as your personal Savior when you're dead in sin. My father, that's the one thing that confused me more than anything else when I was a kid. He said that over and over and over. I walked the aisle constantly getting saved, and he kept dipping me in water and said, Jimmy, uh, that baptism before don't count because you hadn't saved yet so then you have to be dipped again I don't even believe in water baptism anymore baptized does not mean to dip in water or sprinkle with water it's the word baptizo 
comes from the word bapto. It'll tell you when you look it up in a concordance. Look up baptize, it'll say baptizo from bapto. Baptizo means to cover. And bapto means to stain with a dye. And he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. You do have to be baptized to be saved, but in blood only. And that's not something you do. That's something he does to you. A blood baptism was a death. When Jesus asked James and John, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He didn't mean, can we back up three years and can you be dipped in water? He wasn't talking about that. He's talking about his death on the cross the next day. That's true baptism. That's death to self. That's the same thing as a daily cross and self-denial. And people ain't going to like it when you tell them that. I just, a, woman, I just, a woman said, I, I was down here at Publix one day, and she said, this woman walked up and said, I see you on TV. And I got talking to her. I said, well, I teach two Greek words. I said, let me tell you. She had told me she was Church of Christ. I said, let me give you a definition. And I gave her baptize. I said, it means to cover with a stain or dye. It does not mean to dip in water. Being a Church of Christ, I don't know. She went, she didn't, she didn't know what to say to that. I'll shock people like that. I'll say, don't mean that. And it doesn't. So, are you, are you baptized to be saved? Certainly you are. In the blood of Christ. But it's something. I keep saying, baptize was not originally a verb showing action. It was not. It was an infinitive I like to tell this to people. Infinitive. Infinitive is a noun with verbal character. It's a noun that has verbal character to it. That's what baptized means. It means there has to be an action taken upon a subject, but the action has to come from an outer source and it has to stain and to die. That's why the Bible says he washed us from our sins. We don't wash us from our sins in water. He washes us in the blood of Christ. That's why when in in First Peter there, when the Bible says, as eight souls were saved through water, it doesn't say by water like the English says. It says dia. Dia means through. Where do you get that, Jim? Out of an interlinear Bible. You get an interlinear Bible. You look up the actual word. as the Greek on the top line. And it will not say in. It says through. We were, they were saved through the water. The water was not, was not the baptism. The water was the judgment of God. The baptism was the pitch of the ark. The Bible what's amazing to me, pitch the ark within and without with pitch has the exact same meaning as baptizo with bapto. Same meaning. It says it here. It says, pitch. He told Noah, pitch the ark within and without with pitch. 
The first word pitch is kafar, same exact word as atonement when they sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement in the tenth day of the seventh month. The Ark is back here. Here's the veil, candlesticks, the table show bread, the altar of incense, the altar out here in the brazen sea here. Pitch with pitch, kafar with kofar. Kafar, kafar means to cover. Kofar means to stain or to dye. has the exact same meaning as baptizo with babto. I don't know, if, I've never heard any other preacher even get close to that. And a blood baptism, you take McClinic and Strong, you look at blood. Look at the very end of the last, the end of it. He'll tell you, blood baptism was a martyrdom or a death. These guys, preachers, I never hear them talk about Jeremiah and all that he said. I don't even understand the preachers. Why can I find these words and they can't? But you know what it does to me? It depresses me. And you know why? The Bible says it's supposed to. If you're depressed and weary and sorrowful, you're supposed to be. Tracy said to me one time, she said, you told me this years ago. She's, I've taught, given this testimony. I think it's a great testimony. She said it's something that strengthened me like nothing else. She said, you said we, were we have been predestined to conform to the image of Christ. Image is the word icon. It means likeness. It's our word, I-C-O-N. I-C-O-N. It means likeness or representative. What was Jesus like? Isaiah 53 said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When you begin to get into the truth of the Word of God, you learn it. You'll get grieved and sorrowful. How does that come about, learning all these things? Ecclesiastes 1.18 says, In much wisdom is much grief. The wiser you get, the more grieved you get. It breaks my heart to see the nation living the way it's living, and the preachers preaching what they're preaching. Much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. You want to get sorrowful and grieved? Just learn. All these words do to me, it breaks my heart. I don't think people understand that. I'm not trying to boast and be up here and brag. It's depressing not to hear any preachers tell the whole truth. It depresses me to no end. Now let's get back to talking about Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was the men, the princes of Israel in the 38th chapter. They come to Zedekiah and say, can we kill him? He is depressing all of Israel. He's got us so down and out, we don't know what to do. He's walking through the streets and shouting, saying, judgment's coming and Nebuchadnezzar's coming, and he is. And the princes go to Zedekiah and say, can we kill him? Look at that in verse 4 of chapter 38. Therefore the princes said unto the king, unto Zedekiah, 
We beseech thee, let this man be put to death. Have you had people want to kill you? I've had people want to kill me for this message. Had a guy call me from Chicago said, do you know you can be killed for some of the things you're saying? I said, yeah, I know that. I would welcome that. I want to stay here. I feel like Paul. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better than this insane world. But it's more necessary for the church that I remain. I will remain for my family. I will remain for you. I want to keep telling you the truth. I know I'm telling the truth. And preachers are afraid of me. Did you know that? I've ran into them. I have called two preachers of two big churches in this town. Called them down personally out here in public. And they just look at me and go. One of them said, Oh, Jim Brown, nobody liked you in Hendersonville. You go around preaching to everybody. I said, I certainly do. I thought, what a stupid statement for a preacher to make. You go around preaching to everybody. Yeah, okay, what else you got to say? And then he says, He weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city. And this is verse 4 of chapter 38. And the hands of all the people speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of the people, but the hurt. They're lying through their teeth. And then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he's in your hand. For the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Micaiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords in the dungeon. There was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk into the muck. And some writers say that was human waste. You haven't had that happen to you yet, have you? Here's this wonderful man of God. And Ebedmelech goes to Zedekiah and says, Jeremiah's going to die in that mire if you don't get him out of there. So Zedekiah brings him out and says, I want to talk to him. He says, Jeremiah, what have you been saying to these people that these princes want to kill you? Jeremiah said, if I tell you, Zedekiah, you're going to kill me. He said, you promise me you won't kill me before I tell you. He said, okay, I won't kill you. And he tells him, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. God told me to tell you. And he's going to burn this city to the ground and tear down the temple. Most people don't even know that this happened to Israel in the Old Testament. Now, then Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is the commander, the commander of of Nebuchadnezzar's armies, Nebuchadnezzar. In the fortieth chapter, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sounds like a believer. Nebuchadnezzar sounds like a believer. Nebuchadnezzar, God struck Nebuchadnezzar down on his all force when he said, See great Babylon that I have built? And God struck him down for seven times. I believe it's seven months. Until his hair grew out like eagle's feathers. Until his fingernails grew out like bird claws. It had to be seven months. 
And he ate grass with the cattle of the field for seven months. And when he came to his right mind, he stood upon his feet. And he's, these are Nebuchadnezzar's words. He says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Speaking of God, Nebuchadnezzar said, He doeth according to his will among the armies of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou, God? Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar was a believer. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar, his commander-in-chief, was here in the 40th chapter. Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, let me read a verse from the 39th chapter. In verse 11, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar. That's his commander who runs his army. The captain of the guard sang. So these are Nebuchadnezzar's words to Nebuchadnezzar. Take Jeremiah. Look well to him. He was honest with these people. He tried to tell them the truth about me coming. They have been unfaithful to me. They've been unfaithful to their God. Take him and look well to him. And do him no harm. He's a, he's a good man. Nebuchadnezzar knew this. But do do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. Do what he wants to be done. Listen to Jeremiah. See, if we humble under the hand of God, he'll exalt us in due time. So Nebuchadnezzar goes to talk to him in the 40th chapter. And he says to him, Jeremiah, now this is what makes me think that Nebuchadnezzar may have been a believer. Look at verse 2. The captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God, now this is supposed to be a pagan general, The Lord thy God pronounced this evil upon this place. He said, It's your God that did this. Now the Lord hath brought hath brought it and done according as he hath said because ye have sinned against the Lord. This is supposed to be a pagan general saying this to Jeremiah. That's, a, that's amazing to me. Sounds like he's a believer, doesn't it? And have not obeyed his voice, therefore this thing is come upon you. The whole book of Jeremiah is about God crushing Israel. Well, northern Israel's already been carried away by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. This is in 586. This is the final straw with God. God says, I won't put up with you anymore. Most people don't know anything about the 2,600 years of captivity. I never heard any preacher even talk about it, have you? They were in captivity from 586... May 14th, 1948, this is the generation that will not pass away till all is fulfilled. I believe we are living in the generation of the end. I don't know when it's going to happen. The Lord said, no man knows the day nor the hour, but I'll give you signs. And boy, the signs are here. Now, I've got a paper that I've given to all of you. It tells all the governments that have ruled Israel through all these millennia. You're welcome to it if you'd like to have it. Now, what we'd like to do, let's go over here to, 
I want you to see some things concerning. Look over here in 44. Go to 44. I like 44. That's one of my favorite chapters. Because it attacks the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, it attacks Catholicism. Because you've got the Queen of Heaven, which Israel went after in verse 17. And this is about... I don't know how to teach Jeremiah, but just flip through some of these things and let you see what it's talking about. In 44 and 1, and the word came to Jeremiah, the word, remember who the word is? Huh? Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. And all things were made by the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus pre-incarnate. So every time Jeremiah says, the word came into me saying, that's Jesus before he was called Jesus. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews which dwelt in the land of Egypt. It's verse 1, 44. He says, this is concerning all the Jews that dwell in Egypt. What are the Jews doing in Egypt? What have we said about the Jews going to Egypt? Do you Remember? Jeremiah kept telling him, do not go to Egypt and sink sanctuary there. You're not going to get any help over there. If you do, I'll have Nebuchadnezzar's armies come over there and crush you and kill you in Egypt. He's not forsaking the Jews. He says, go to Babylon, stay there 70 years, marry, have children, plant gardens, plant fields, and in 70 years, I'll bring you back. 70 years later, from 586 all the way to 516, that's when they finished building the temple. And that's in, and you've got these three kings, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. They give these decrees for them to go back over there and rebuild the temple. And Artaxerxes gives a fourth decree to rebuild the city. And God had to move on these pagan men's hearts. It looks like it looks like Cyrus was a believer. It looks like Darius, who loved Daniel, was a believer. It's just amazing to me. It looks like Artaxerxes, who was one of the best friends that Nehemiah ever had, was a believer. Wow. If you don't look at what is actually going on, you are going to see that. Now, this 44 chapter is about Jews that have run off to Egypt. And Jeremiah warns them in the 28th chapter, don't go to Egypt. God will have you chased down and killed. Go to Babylon. All you've got to do is stay there 70 years till the land restores its nutrients, enjoys its Sabbaths. And you can go back and replant and everything will be okay again. And they didn't believe God. Of course, they didn't believe the prophet. They'd say, I don't believe that. This, this 44th chapter, you've got to remember this. This is against the Roman Catholicism chapter. Who is unfamiliar with the Queen of Heaven of Roman Catholicism? i got a book here. got a picture of the Queen of Heaven. It's the Mary of Roman Catholicism. Well, 
it's not that one. It's one of these others. I got it here somewhere. And it's, uh, well, I don't see it. Here it is. It's got Queen of Heaven in here. It, it's, that is the Mary of Roman Catholicism. They call her Queen of Heaven. You do know that, don't you? Come on in, Zach. And it's got her, this is a Roman Catholic book. I got it years ago. It's, it's crazy. Oh, okay, here you go. Mary, Queen of Heaven. As she's been immaculately assumed. See, they didn't find out that she was immaculately assumed into heaven till I was 11 years old. 1950. That's when they found out she was immaculately assumed. They said she was immaculately assumed because she was without sin. Well, she said, My soul doth rejoice in God my Savior concerning that baby in her womb in Luke, the first chapter. She said she has a need of a Savior. So she wasn't immaculately assumed and she was not immaculately conceived. The immaculate conception is not about Jesus' conception. It's about Mary's. They said she was conceived without sin. That's why she gets to go up to heaven as the Queen of Heaven. Now, and this is a Roman Catholic book. Had a guy come here one time. He said, I went to a monastery to become a priest before I quit and he said they gave that book to all the novices this one right here inside Catholicism so it tell you, it'll show you the Mary Queen of Heaven and it says here in the 44th chapter of Jeremiah verse 15 then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods Jews and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt, in Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, Here's what they're saying to Jeremiah. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken to you, Jeremiah. Get away from us. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. That's the Roman Catholic Mary. Of course, the queen of heaven was called the moon back in that day and time. And she was represented by the tree upon the earth. And that was Mileta or Venus or Aphrodite. When they brought all of that fire worship into the church, they simply changed Aphrodite's name to Mary. They changed Jupiter's name to Peter. And this is all Romanism is all it is. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make cakes to Worship her. Kavan is the word cakes. It means sacrificial wafers. That was an unbloody sacrifice just like the Romanist. When they raise the cookie up and say, Hocus corpus filet, they say it turns into the body and the blood of Jesus. Boy, it's a mess. And then you got it one more time here in verse 25. 
Thus saith the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, saying, Ye and your wives have, spo- have both spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have vowed to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven. I want to scream that at the top of my lungs so you don't, you don't, people don't even know what you're doing. Christmas is Christ Mass. It's in the very Word. I figured that out when I was 12 years old, living in Fort Worth, Texas in 1951. I looked at it and I saw the Midnight Mass. I said, is this Christ Mass? Is this St. Nicholas is another name for Santa Claus and I think he's a Roman Catholic priest. I found out later on when I studied he's a 4th century Roman Catholic bishop. It's just a lie, the things we tell our children. If you look down here in 45 and 5, and seekest thou great things for thyself, seek them not. For behold, this is God speaking, I will bring evil. He says that over and over and over again. You know what God is going after? Everybody that polluted Israel. Everybody. If you look at the map, I don't know how a preacher can say this without a map. If you look at the map, he goes after Egypt. He goes after Moab, which is southern Jordan. He goes after Ammon, northern Jordan. He goes after Syria, which is right here. That's one of the oldest nations in the world. Damascus is supposed to be the oldest city in the world. He goes after Tyre and Sidon, right above Israel, which is what we call Lebanon. Lebanon... One of the words for moon is the word Lebanon. It means white. I believe that white was what they worshipped. Moon meant white. And I believe that's why white people are called white people. Because we're not white. It's not white. It's pink. Because they were moon worshippers. The white, the Caucasians come from up here in the Caucasus Mountains. That's, that's the northern section of Assyria. Our ancestors were wicked and evil. Now, i got to show you something. The way Jeremiah goes after these things. He says in 44 and 1 concerning the Jews in Egypt. Then he says in 46, I'm just going to show you some of these. 46 and verse 2. 46 and 2. Against Egypt. What Jeremiah is saying. God is against Egypt. Why? Israel served all of their gods too. He, they served Osiris and Isis and Amun-Ra. And the list goes on. And you can read Ezra, the ninth chapter, the first couple of verses. And they went after all the gods of the Ammonites, the, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the, all of these ites gods. They went after all of them too. Israel was so corrupt. But you know, America's doing that too, aren't they? They're going after their car gods, their house gods, their money gods. You say, is that idolatry? Oh, absolutely. The Bible says covetousness is idolatry in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and Ephesians, the third chapter. A covetous man is an idolater. 
Covetous, pleonectes, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S is the word covetous. It means to want more. None of us are, Paul said, I've learned in what service state I am, therewith to be content. America's not content, are they? No. Want more, and it means to want more by any way you can get it, being devious or underhanded, and that is idolatry. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. You say, I'm not an idolater. Are you sure? You sure you hadn't been one? Idolatry comes from ido lola and lolatria. It's a construction of ido and latruo. Latruo is a common word means to serve. Ido means to see. It means to serve what you put into your eyes and ears. You know how long it's taken me to get over cars? I used to drive up beside a car and say, boy, I'd like to have one like that. I was probably nearly 70. I don't do that anymore. Wanting more is idol worship is just as much as bowing down to one of those tree gods in the ancient world. It's ungodly. Boy, trying to pray, God, get me over myself. You know what that is? What is that thing that we serve? It can be defined in a circle. It's the outer man. Outer man serves the law of the flesh. The inner man is Christ in you. That serves the law of God. And God has to put us through fire and trials and persecution for year after year till he burns out most of that old man. And we get to be old. We're going to have a thin veneer of this and be 83 here in a couple of weeks. I still got some of that outer man. I say, oh, God, get rid of that. He, he just destroys me. I don't want Jim Brown no more. I, I can't handle him. He was completely out of whack when I was 30, 35. Just crazy. Hey, Dwayne. How you doing? <laughs> All right. How much time do I have, Mike? 30. 30. All right. Now, let me give you some more of these. Look here at 46 and 2. Did I give you that? Yeah. Okay. Against Egypt. Against the army of Pharaoh, Nico. He was the Pharaoh at this time. Nico was. They were running to Nico for protection. Nico couldn't protect them against the greatest army in the world. Babylon? No way. God says, I'll go over and crush him with Nebuchadnezzar. And he did. Nebuchadnezzar is God's vengeful rod. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to beat up everybody around Israel that has polluted Israel with all this other God worship. And you can see this in Jeremiah. Look here in... in uh, 47. Oh, let's look at 46. Let me give you some of these other things. Four 
harness the horses. What do you think he's talking about? The chariots coming in, just destroying. Harness the horses and get you the horsemen and stand forth with your helmets, furbish the spears and put on the brigandines. The brigandines, they were coats of mail that you see those guys wearing so the spears won't go through them. Wherefore have I seen them dismayed and they turned away back and their mighty ones are beaten down and are fled apace and looked back for fear was round about, saith the Lord. Let not the swift flee away just because you fast. You ain't going to get away from this judgment. All because they didn't want to keep the sabbatical years and they decided to go after other gods, tree gods and sun gods, the Christmas tree. If God would do this to Israel, read Jeremiah. It's very depressing. Talk about judgment. Jeremiah is my favorite all-time hero out of the Bible. I want to meet him one day in heaven. See, I've admired you so much. Let not the swift flee away, nor the mighty men escape. They shall stumble. You're not getting away from me, God said. And fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. Ah, what does that mean? Babylon is on the Euphrates River, and they were going to be led away naked all the way to Babylon, 650, 700 miles. Israel, supposed to be God's people. Who is this that cometh up as a flood whose waters are moved as the rivers? When he's talking about waters, he's talking about armies. He says that in the 28th chapter of Isaiah. He said, Assyria is going to come up like a flood upon the land. And look over here at 47 and 1. 47 and 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. The word is always coming to him. That's Jesus. The prophet against, against, against the Philistines. Good grief alive. Why against the Philistines? The Philistines is what we call the Gaza Strip. You got Israel here. You got this right down here. It's the land of the Philistines or the Gaza Strip. And they had polluted Israel with Dagon worship. Dagon is the word comes from the word dog, which is the word fish, and they worship Dagon. Mixed that up with Israel, and Israel got caught up with that. And they were always attacking Israel and doing things they shouldn't do. And that was the Philistines or the people from Gaza. When they declared Israel a nation for the first time in twenty six hundred years, they had the West Bank. Here. Something like that. And the West Bank was Jerusalem. And and when they declared them a nation, everybody in Israel had to either go over here to the Gaza Strip or the West Bank and live. And they didn't have the freedom in Israel. These were the Arab nations that were living in Israel. 
And that's why they're always, they were lobbing all those scud missiles over there in these cities of Jerusalem. They're always attacking Israel. So God says, I'm against the Philistines. And then he says in verse 4, which, what, what chapter? 47, 47, verse 4. Because, well, let me read 3 and 4. At the noise of the stamping of the hooves of the strong horses, we're talking about Babylon coming into these places with their chariots and crushing them. At the rushing of chariots, at the rumbling of the wheels, the fathers shall not look back to the, shall not look back to their children for the feebleness of hands. They're not going to be able to save their children. Because of the day that cometh to spoil all the Philistines and to cut off from Tyre and Sidon. What's, what did Tyre and Sidon do? That is what we call Lebanon, right above Israel. What did they do? Oh gosh. Tyre and Sidon did one of the worst things ever happened to Israel. Ahab had his palace up here at Carmel. And right across the border was Tyre and Sidon. And somewhere one night at some party, evidently Ahab runs across this hot-looking woman. Her name is Jezebel. Now, he had his choice of all the women in northern Israel. And he picks out this witch. I mean, she is a witch. She had to be good looking because he had his choice of all these other women. So he marries her and brings her down here and she brings her Baal gods and her grove goddesses. Grove is the word Asherah. We get the word Ashtaroth, which is a generic term for all the female deities. And she brings them down here in First Kings the 16th chapter when she marries Ahab and Ahab builds temples for Baal in the grove in northern Israel and all the Levites, the priests say, we're getting out of here. Say, <laughs> so we can't take that. So God puts a curse on Ahab for all that he did. So God says, i got to bring judgment on Tyre and Sidon. Jezebel's father was Ethbaal. Ethbaal and Baal was a god of, of Babylon over here, of Babylon, and that system moved over to Tyre and Sidon. So when it came into Israel, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that when Cyrus came in to conquer Babylon, and he did that by blocking, the, by damming up the Euphrates and diverting it out, out into the Arabian Desert. He'd come up here north of Babylon, diverted out here, dried up the river, marched down the riverbed, said, you're all under arrest, and he killed Belshazzar that night. Well, this is the system. This is amazing. I don't, I don't know how to do this simple. Let me erase some of this. Erase it. it. This is how it got to America. Let me let me redo it. 
is Israel. Israel is the longest, it's about 120 miles long and the narrowest parts, 20 or 30 miles across. Israel is smaller than New Jersey. And the entire world has its eyes upon Israel. Everybody's looking at it. Because that's the sign of the end. Now, here's Tyre and Sidon up here. That came out of Babylon. Here's the Euphrates here. Here's the Persian Gulf down here where we had that little war in the early 90s. little short war. And when Cyrus come in, he outlawed the fire worship and it moved over to Pergamos. Even the Bible says in the second chapter of Revelation, even where Satan's seat is. And Pergamos is right about here in northern Turkey. When the king of Pergamos died, the Romans loved their magical charms and the things that they did. So they left part and parcel when Attalus III died. The third. He was the king of Pergamum, of the Pergamum Empire. You can read about Pergamus, where Satan's seat is. They moved that seat from Babylon up to Pergamus. And when he died, they left that. They had an Olympic torch carried the fire out of the temple of Osculopius, the serpent god that was there in Osculopius was the first it was like a cobra's head it had the it was the first that had the sunbeams behind the head of the serpent I can't like, remember how to spell it A-E-S-C-U-P-A-L-I-E-S something like that Osculopus he was a serpent god they took the fire out of this out of the Pergamum temple took it over to Rome and the and the uh, what was eventually to evolve into the nuns. These were these sisters in the convent. And they kept the fires burning. It was an eternal fire. It was an eternal fire in Rome. It was an eternal fire when Jerusalem worshipped Moloch. Uh, they would go down south of Jerusalem in the Valley of Tophet or Valley of Hinnom into Tophet and there was an eternal fire there it was an eternal fire up here it was an eternal fire in Babylon it was an eternal fire in Pergamos when they moved it to Rome by an Olympic torch they set the fire in Pergamos and at Rome and then eventually it ends up over John Kennedy's grave as an eternal fire because he's a Roman Catholic the eternal fire can be traced all the way back to Babylon that's pretty scary, you know. But those people are what they are. Let's look at some more of these people. Tyre and Sidon. And then he says in verse 7 of 47, How can it be quiet, seeing that the Lord had given it charge against Escalon, one of the chief cities of the Philistines? Against. Notice the word against. God says, I'm against these people that polluted my people. And look at 48 
and one against Moab. That's Joab is saying God's coming against all the nations that have polluted Israel against Moab. Moab is southern Jordan. Moab and Ben-Ami were the two sons of Lot when God delivered Lot from Sodom and his two daughters took him into a cave and had sexual intercourse with him because they had heard that the seed was going to come from Abraham and they thought maybe it might come through his nephew Lot. They didn't do that for sexual reasons. They did it preserve the seed of their father Lot. And their names were Moab and Ben-Ami or later on called Ammon. And Ammon Jordan is the capital of Jordan. I don't know how a preacher could even preach these things without maps. Because everything that was around Israel, God says, I'm against it. They polluted them. Of course, it was a weakness of Israel. And then he says here in verse chapter 49, verse 1. I can't get through all this. I'm just reading excerpts from various things. 49, concerning the Ammonites, northern Jordan. The Ammonites were the ones that Israel was in, involved in war. They were at war with, with Ammon, that's northern Jordan. When David sends Uriah the Hittite up there where they're fighting the Ammonites because he had gotten Bathsheba pregnant and he was trying to get him into battle and have him killed. don't sound like good Christians do they concerning the Ammonites and he says in a section of Ammon is in verse then he says in verse 7 concerning Edom he's against Edom what is Edom Edom is Esau Esau is south of Israel, just south. This is Israel. Edom is right down here. Edom is Esau. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. He gave none of his commandments to Esau. So he says, I'm against Edom because they polluted my people too. Concerning Edom, flee ye, turn back, dwell. He says, get out of here. And he tells them, you need to go dwell. Uh, he says, you need to go and dwell in, among the stones just like the doves do. What does he mean by that? The capital of Edom was Petra. It means a large stone. Petra was a mountain inside of Edom and it was a mountain it was a city built in rock he said go in there and look for a sanctuary you better hide because you can't hide from my soldiers Babylon's soldiers were God's judgment against Israel Ammon, Moab, Tyre Sidon, Egypt God says, I'm going to wipe all of you out. I've, I've had enough of this. When you read Jeremiah, 
It's very depressing. I've had people write to me. So can't you talk some about something besides that? You're just repeating yourself. Well, read Jeremiah. You think repeat. He says it on every page, every chapter. And it's judgment for the same thing that's going on in America. I don't believe God is going to let this nation last much longer. We are actually in a state of bankruptcy. Professor Kotlikoff at Boston University says we are way past the point of no return. He's an economics expert. He said we are past going back. Well, it has to be because this is the judgment of God. Do I have any time, Mike? Twelve. And I haven't gotten to, boy, when I get to this, when you get to 50 and 1, boy, it takes going to take me a while to teach through 50 and 51 and 52. Because the word of the Lord spake against Babylon. God says, I'm, it all started with Babylon, the mother of idolatry. She started it. He just happened to pick out Nebuchadnezzar and say, I'll use you as my sword. I'll use you as my, my battle axe to crush these people for what they've done. Now I've got to take care of you. What amazes me, I just, it's hard to fathom this. You get into, God calls Nebuchadnezzar in to destroy Israel and all those nations around them. They actually destroy everybody, level them, and nothing left. And he calls Nebuchadnezzar in to come over here and do his, all his evil deeds against Israel and all these nations around them here. Around here and all here, he, he's and and Jeremiah's prophesying all this, and he comes in, and then about five generations later, Belshazzar is one of the most wicked kings that's ever lived in Babylon, and God comes up in so many words and says, "Aha! I caught you hurting my people and destroy them. Now I have to destroy you." That figured that out. He's the one that called Nebuchadnezzar in. And then he's going to blame Belshazzar for it. I can't figure that out. That's just, if you try to reason God's word out, you aren't going to get anywhere reasoning it. I've got so many things about, you know what I like to do? I just like to read through this whole book and go real slow. And every time... Jeremiah says, sword, famine, pestilence. I write, I underline it and circle it in red in my Bible every time. He's got it all through there. The sword is when, I've said this so many times to you, the sword is when he would cause Israel's enemies to come against them. If you had a city here, he'd cause Babylon to come in and lay siege against them. A siege. A siege is not coming in and destroying them. It's cutting off all supply lines. No water. No food. And no way 
to get over all this. And then God says, what's going to happen? Your babies are going to die. And then I'm going to cause you to eat your children. And they do that. In Jeremiah 19, he says that in Deuteronomy 28. He says in, in all through the Old Testament, he says in 2 Kings 6, two women come together and they have babies that have died during the siege and they make an agreement, we'll eat my baby today and then tomorrow we'll eat yours. The next day comes and the woman that had the second baby said, I don't want to give you my baby to eat. So they go before King Jehoram. She said, we'd eat my, her baby today. You say, that sounds crude, Jim. Tell God that. That's the judgment that God brought upon Israel for going after these other gods that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. He just simply took the feast of Saturn and turned it into Christmas. I don't see how a preacher can even look at the word C-H-R-S-T-M-A-S. Doesn't that look like Christ Mass to you? That's what it is. They just dropped an S and pulled the two words together make it a little bit honorable, but it's not. Jesus was born of a virgin. He died to save sinners. Died to save his elect. But Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. Jesus, we celebrated your birthday the other day. We got drunk and drank and got together and cussed and argued with each other. Doesn't that make you happy? That's exactly what America does, doesn't it? And America wants to be a part of that. It's the same system that Jeremiah is hammering Israel for. And it's the same system that Jer- that, Belshaz- that Nebuchadnezzar came in and slaughtered them all for. And it was by the will of God, God said, I'll bring this evil upon you. I challenge everybody to read the book of Jeremiah very slowly. It'll depress you to no end. He didn't have much good to say. It don't feel good. It read about like uh, one of these martyrs' books, Fox's Book of Martyrs. They're killing and stealing and lying and slaughtering and butchering. I don't know how people can keep on believing these things that they're believing. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take my time going through the 50th. I haven't even begun to give you all that's in Jeremiah. I'd have to sit here and read it verse by verse by verse and explain to you why he's saying what he's saying. And it's all against Israel. And the thing is, he keeps saying, all through here, he says, I'm going to destroy you, but I will bring you back. (laughs) That's what he did May 14th, 1948. But I'm going to have to go through all these verses about a spiritualism, which is the church. I believe that's the real true gathering of God's people, is His church, His true Israel. A Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. Circumcision is not outwardly, but of the heart. And we are His spiritual Israel. I believe that I don't know how this is going to happen. I believe there is a remnant in literal Israel that will believe.
because these four wars could not have happened with Israel having overwhelmingly been outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, 40 to 1. When they were declared a nation, May 14, 1948, May 15, 1948, 45 million Arab nations declared war against 255,000 Jews. You can't win with those odds. But they did. It's just, you know, I'm really glad I serve a God like that. I'm out of time. I'm going to have to come back and... Five minutes. I'm going to come back and go through this. I've skipped a whole lot of verses that I was going to take, give to you. I just don't have time to get to all of them. It's just, I'm amazed at God being who He is. We're about to see the end of all things. I don't, I don't see how we can go another... 25 years I just don't see how it can happen our nation is shaking it's about to collapse it's about to collapse in every social way it's about to collapse financially when it goes down none of us are going to have anything did you know that I don't care how much you own it's not going to be yours then I love this truth. I love the people that love it. I'm just, I'm really tired. I look forward to going to be with the Lord. I, I want to stay here and keep preaching as long as I can. And uh, I've got a lot of enemies that want to stop me. And I'm just going to keep on teaching until I can't teach no more. I'm not angry at... I'm angry at the false teachers that are lying to the people. That's who the Bible says, be angry at these winds of doctrine that make the church apathetic. There in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I'm angry at the preachers. I'm not angry at the sheep that's wandering around, kind of lost and not knowing what to do. Those are the ones I want to gather in and say, look, come on, gather in with us. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, sometimes I don't know what to do or what to say. I try to give it all that I have. Help me. Help the flock. Make the sheep strong. Cause them to get into the Word and believe it. To read these things like Jeremiah and like Isaiah. They were such tremendous men of God. Oh, that I would, that I could be like one of them. Fight our battles for us. I can't fight anymore, Jordan. I'm too tired and too old and wore out. Help us, God. We'll praise you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray, man. I don't see how somebody can preach without a map and showing people where these things are.